Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorka. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Good morning and a very warm welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa from an African perspective and we're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. We are on the frequencies 7230 kHz on the 41 meter band to Southern Africa and on 11925 kHz on the 25 meter band to West Africa as well as DSTV's audio bouquet channel 802. I'm Lulu Gabu in studio with Anne Musa, Tabisolo Hoko and Figile Lingwati. In our top stories, an Africa rise and shine at the Sawa. U.S. imposes sanctions on the DRC's election commission officials. And U.N. warns of dire conditions in the aftermath of Cyclone Idai. In, ec- in economics news, ESCOM power cuts expected to hit South Africa's GDP. And in sports news, a court of arbitration for sport delays Custer Semenga's verdict until April. But first up, the news with Anne Musa. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Musa. Zimbabwe's President Emerson Mnangagwa has declared two days of national mourning starting Saturday, following the devastating effects of Cyclone Adai on the country. The death toll in Zimbabwe has risen to 139, while more than 190 people are still missing. The cyclone has been characterized as the worst disaster to strike the southern hemisphere. It has affected more than 2.6 million people. South Africa's international National Relations Minister Lindwe Sisulu has thanked South Africans who have responded to a call for humanitarian assistance. The cyclone has caused major damages in Mozambique, Malawi and Zimbabwe. Harare has requested for more assistance from the international community. As Zimbabwe's ambassador to South Africa, David Hamadzaripi, explains. We need shelter for those families who are, who are now stranded, who don't have anywhere to go to. Presently, you have very temporary shelter. You also have had some individuals, entrepreneurs, who have offered their facilities as temporary shelter to some of the homeless people. We need blankets, clothes for all age groups, and we also need uh, volunteers because we are having a massive mobilization of support, but we will need volunteers to also uh, deliver uh, these goods to where they are most needed. Nearly 80 people have drowned after an overloaded ferry sank in the Tigris River near the city of Mosul in Iraq. Many were women and children. Water authorities have warned the river levels on the Tigris would be higher than usual because of a release from the Mosul Dam. The BBC's Caroline Howley has the story. The ferry is reported to have been travelling between one bank of the River Tigris and a small tourist island when it flipped over and sank. It was packed with families enjoying a spring day out. Water levels in the river were high and one official is quoted as saying the boat had twice as many people on board as it was supposed to. 
Rescue teams were able to save some from the water, but the Tigris flows fast and many of those who drowned are said to be women and children who couldn't swim. Thousands of people have gathered in Christchurch, New Zealand for prayers to remember the 50 people killed by a gunman at two mosques a week ago. Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern joined about 20,000 people standing quietly at Hagley Park in front of the al Noor Mosque where most of the victims were killed during Friday prayers last week. Surrounded by ministers and security officials wearing a black head scarf and a black suit, Ardern said that New Zealand mourns with all the people. The short speech was followed by two minutes of silence. The United States has imposed sanctions on three senior officials from the Democratic Republic of Congo's Electoral Commission, accusing them of corruption and obstructing the December presidential election. The U.S. Treasury says the Commission's organization of the December 30 election, which led to the DRC's first-ever transfer of power via the ballot box, failed to ensure that the vote reflected the will of the Congolese people. The statement stopped short of calling into question the legitimacy of President Felix Tshisekedi's victory. This despite what sources say is an outright rigging to deny Rana Abmarte Fayolo the win. And finally, the United Nations Human Rights Council has adopted a resolution to defend South African athlete and Olympic gold medalist Caster Semenya's right to participate in sport. The council adopted the resolution, which was tabled by South Africa. Mbali Tetane reports. Released in a statement, the International Relations Department says the resolution adopted in the 46th session by consensus and without a vote is aimed at eliminating discrimination against women and girls in sport. The department also says South Africa presented the resolution and is grateful to all members of the council and to civil society for rallying behind the resolution. This is the first time that the human rights system holds international sport associations to account for their obligations under international human rights law. Simenia, who had her case heard at the Court of Arbitration for sports is expected to hear the verdict at the end of April. And that's the news headlines at 8.30 Central African time. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Let's talk about it. Hi, I'm Joe Manguia. And I'm Tabitha Jala. Join us at 9 a.m. Central African time. Let's Let's talk talk about about it. A program on AIDS and other social issues. A program that will encourage a positive lifestyle to young people affected and infected. Let's Let's talk talk about about it. At at 9 a.m. Central African time on Channel Africa. The United States has slapped sanctions on three senior officials from the Election Commission that oversaw the controversial election in the Democratic Republic of Congo late last year. The Treasury sanctioned Corneli Yobelu Nanga, the president of the Election Commission known as SENI, his deputy Norbert Basengezi and his son Matelin Mukolo Basengezi, who was a high-level SENI advisor. Show and Bryce Peace has more. In a statement, the Treasury's Undersecretary for Terrorism and Financial Intelligence, Sigal Mandlaka, said their action follows persistent corruption by senior officials within the DRC's National Independent Electoral Commission 
and the former government of Joseph Kabila to obstruct and delay preparations for credible and inclusive elections. The statement says the United States stands with the Congolese people who went to the polls on December 30th but remain concerned about the flawed electoral process in which Seni continued to obstruct the democratic process and failed to ensure the vote reflected the will of the Congolese people. The announcement comes nearly a month after Washington imposed travel and visa restrictions against six DRC officials, including those sanctioned on Thursday. The country's constitutional court declared opposition leader Felix Tshisekedi the winner, despite widespread concerns that the final tallies were rigged. Sherman Rice-Pee's SABC News, New York. The United Nations says there are dire conditions in vast areas of southern Africa in the aftermath of Cyclone Idai as heavy rains continue to cause massive destruction in the region. The World Food Programme has warned that the situation is likely to deteriorate and that people are still in need of rescue from rooftops after the devastating storm swept through Mozambique, Zimbabwe and Malawi, affecting millions of people. The UN agency has appealed for millions of dollars in funding as it aims to reach 600,000 people in the next four weeks. Show and Bryce Peace reports. The Mozambique National Disaster Management Institute says more than 100,000 people are still isolated without assistance in the Chimoy, Dombe and other locations in Manika province as UN agencies scale up their response as the breadth of devastation becomes clear. For Wurzel of the World Food Program. Now that we have a bit more information on the situation, it looks clear that the number of 600,000 will definitely go up uh, in the coming days. That has, of course, implication on, on cost. If we help 600,000 people for three months, that's a cost of $42 million. If we need to help up to 1.7 million people for three months, that will be a cost of $121.5 million. Obviously, we don't have uh, that money today. Extensive damage has been caused to major roads and bridges, which are now impassable, while power networks have been severed and are unlikely to be restored for several weeks. For the moment, WFP only have one cargo plane who arrived very, very quickly. We will uh, remember that was probably the first cargo to, to land. Um, the food from that cargo is not yet fully distributed. Then we have uh, the problem that we have is more the access. Then we can have the food coming, but then we have a problem of distribution of that food to people because most of the people are basically on a rooftop or in, in a place where we cannot access by, by road. Then the boats and helicopter will be the way to distribute. The Wurzel also raised concerns about the distribution network infrastructure required when aid is delivered to the region. Let's not forget that in the port for the moment, you have no infrastructure. That's the same at the airport. For example, our plane, when the plane arrived, that was nothing to take out of the plane all the food. Then that has been done manually by people. Then people need to take box by box out of the planes. We are not talking about a few hundred kilograms. We are talking about uh, quite a few megatons. I mean, and that will be the same problem uh, for the moment, at least in the port. When, when boat will come, that will be a very long process because all the machinery is, is not working. The infrastructure is, is not working anymore. Relief agencies are on high alert with concerns for the possibility of secondary floods and the spread of communicable diseases. A major humanitarian appeal is expected in the coming days. Listen to Gemma Connell, who leads operations for the UN Office for the Coordination of Humanitarian Affairs in Southern and East Africa on some of the heroics performed in rescue operations in the days past. 
I have the most profound respect for the colleagues who have been carrying out those flights at true personal risk to themselves. So both the South African uh, Air Force and the Mercy Wings colleagues were flying these flights for search and rescue over very fast-flowing floodwaters, dropping down at high risk in high-challenging helicopter environments to collect people literally from the top of houses and roofs to carry them to safety. It's absolutely amazing what they managed to do and the lives that they saved in the most incredibly difficult conditions. So I have the highest respect and the utmost. Um, I, I, they're, they're basically heroes, these colleagues who were doing this these last days, and they truly saved lives. The death toll in Mozambique is officially at 242, in Zimbabwe 139, and in Malawi at 56. Those numbers are expected to rise, with hundreds still missing in both Zimbabwe and Mozambique. I'm Sherman Bryce-Pease. In New York. The UN Economic Commission for Africa says Africa still needs to work on its huge financial gap and it needs more resources to finance development goals as articulated in the Sustainable Development Goals. This as the UN experts meet with ministers of finance from the continent in Marrakesh, Morocco. Channel Africa's Coletta Wanjohi reports from Marrakesh. The United Nations Economic Commission for Africa outlines the financial gap of the continent. Adam El Haraika is the director of the Economic Commission's Macroeconomic Policy Division. Africa has a huge financial gap. We need a lot of financial resources to finance our development goals as articulated in Agenda 2030 of the UN and the Agenda 2063 of the African Union. In our estimates, Africa needs between 630 and 1.2 billion a year uh, in order to achieve, to invest uh, in infrastructure, infrastructure and so on and so forth and achieve Agenda 2030. In, in, in short, Africa needs, Africa's financing gap is, uh, gap is about 11% of GDP per annum, 11%. And we know that we cannot rely on external resources. He adds that compared to the rest of the world, the average percentage of tax rate in the continent is much lower and can be best utilized to attract more returns to the individual countries. About 10 years ago, the average tax revenue in Africa was about 7.5%. It has more than doubled within 10 years. So Africa can do it. And we have uh, the trust that Africa can do it. So what we need to do is really to grow faster. Now, in 2018, Africa grew at 3.2%. Africa needs to increase this growth to 10% or more in order to achieve the SDG. Adam says African states must now do more to mobilize public and private domestic resources. Now we are focusing on public resources that can be mobilized through different means, as I I mentioned, by broadening the tax base, by mobilizing more non-tax revenue, and uh, by managing their natural resources better, by fighting tax evasion, tax avoidance, and illicit financial flows in general, by improving tax administration, fighting corruption. And here we come to the issue of digitalization. We are living in a world of opportunities, really. 
So digitalization is one of the opportunities we have now. We can leapfrog. We have said that Africa can, can promote green growth. It can promote digitalization and leapfrog. All this is advice presented to the finance ministers of the continent who are currently meeting in Marrakesh, Morocco, to analyze the implementation of other issues including the continental free trade area, which should increase intra-African trade, which currently comprises just 15% of the continent's total merchandise trade. When compared with intra-regional trade in other countries, 67% in Europe, 58% in Asia, and 48% in North America, the one for Africa is quite low. Colette Ranjohi, Channel Africa Radio, in Marrakesh, Morocco. Welcome to Change Your Game on Channel Africa, the African perspective. We are coming to you from Johannesburg, right here in South Africa. I'm Asanda Beda, your host. Change Your Game, the program that promotes open discussion and social dialogue as we highlight real issues in the African entrepreneurship ecosystem. Trevor Mumba now joins us in studio to talk about his entrepreneurial and personal journey. Welcome to Change Your Game, Trevor. Thank you so much. Um, it's an honor to be here. Palesa Mukubong, who's a designer. Welcome, Palesa, to Change Your Game. Thank you. Your role at the fourth annual Fashion Without Borders event? I just know that I need to arrive and, and, <laughs> okay. and do my part and do it really, really well. Yeah. South Africa's President Cyril Ramaphosa says government has embraced the culture of human rights and is slowly making the country a better place to live for people with disability. He was speaking at an event to commemorate National Human Rights Day at the George Tabe Sports Ground in Sharpville, south of Johannesburg, yesterday. The president also said other languages that were suppressed and given lower social status will be recognized and spoken in some of the country's schools. Ndebo Mogobo reports. This year's Human Rights Day commemoration took place under the theme The Year of Indigenous Languages, Promoting and Deepening a Human Rights Culture. The choice of this theme was to amplify efforts to preserve, promote and revitalize endangered languages. While countries the world over usually have one or perhaps two official languages, South Africa has 11 official languages as part of its multicultural heritage. And President Cyril Ramaphosa says the 12th one is in the offing thanks to the country's rich and diverse melting pot population. As part of our commitment to empower and foster respect of the rights of people with disabilities, a proposal has been submitted to Parliament to elevate South African Sign Language to the status of an official language. And this we do because our Constitution directs us to do precisely that. He said government is slowly making the country a better place to live in for people with disability, insisting that Pretoria will comply with the continental treaty on people with disability by signing the African Disability Protocol. We affirm our determination that in the struggle for human rights, to borrow the theme of World Down Syndrome Day, we must never leave anyone behind. As South Africa, we should never be found foul to having disregarded the rights of any South African. Whether they are people with Down syndrome, we should never 
leave them behind. And it is for that reason that we will move with urgency to sign and ratify the Africa Disability Protocol in terms of the requirements of our law. Although recognized in the constitution, the Khoisan and Nama languages as well as the sign language Portuguese and Hindi remain unofficial languages in the country. But the president said some of these languages will soon be used in the country's school curriculum. We are very proud in our country that one of the key languages that was brutally suppressed and almost obliterated is now resurfacing and we are making sure that this language is taught in our schools and that is the Nama language and a language rule book is being finalized by the Pan South African Language Board. The Commission for the Protection and the Promotion of the Rights of Cultural and Religious and Linguistic Communities is actively involved in resuscitating Isithubi, Isipata, Northern Debele, and other indigenous languages. He also said drama series will be premiered on some of the SABC platforms as part of the country's commitment to foster respect for indigenous languages. Next month, the very first Shizonga drama series will be shown on SABC. Now, every time an indigenous language is broadcast on our airwaves and on our TV, we are paying homage to the core belief expressed in the preamble of our constitution. We are a nation united in our diversity. President Ramaphosa also used the occasion to allay fears on the rolling blackouts due to ESCOM's inability to supply enough power, saying the country will soon overcome all these challenges. We are facing a severe energy crisis that is having a profound impact on the lives of our people and also on our economy. Restoring a reliable supply of energy and ensuring that we have a sustainable model for affordable energy into the future is now one of our most urgent priorities. We have confronted difficulties in the past. We have always prevailed when we have been able to work together. We will overcome this electricity crisis just as we overcame the apartheid challenge. That report by Ndebo Mukobo. Abari. Etise mache mingabo baoni kedu mbote ndemne bonsoir join me richard mwamba for a music show on channel africa called africa in song every saturday and sunday from 18 to 20 hours central african time africa in song saturday and sunday from 18 to 20 hours central african time The Pan-Africanist Congress of Azania, PAC, says commemorating Human Rights Day is important to the party as it solidifies the struggle when the party fought against the apartheid government for the freedom of all. At least 69 people were killed 59 years ago by police in Shutville during a peaceful demonstration when the community raised their dissatisfaction with the apartheid government system of pass laws. The protests in the area on this day were mainly led by the PAC. Mbali Tetani reports. 
PAC Deputy National Chairperson Sbusiso Taba says the party took to the streets on the 21st of March in 1960 to ensure that the people of South Africa become self-sufficient. But the struggle was not about the Dombas. The struggle was total liberation of our people for us to determine our way, own way, for us to reassert ourselves as a people for self-determination and complete self-reliance. So this day to us means that. It means that we must shackle ourselves. We are not pleased with manifestos that talk about jobs. We are not looking for jobs, but we are looking for employing ourselves, for self-actualizing ourselves as a people using our land. Other political parties also mark this day by commemorating those who fought against the struggle under the apartheid government. Azapo erected a tent on Siaso Street and addressed the community. Its national chairperson, Analvis Bakema, says it is important to remember this day as a number of people died for the liberation of South Africa. It is very important uh, for us in Azapo to be here today. I remember that Steve Biko himself, before he died, he did say and reminded us that a nation that forgets its matthias will itself soon be forgotten. That is what Steve Biko told us. And then through those words, we are now being here to remember, you know, uh, the sacrifices and the blood that spilled uh, in Sharpville here in 1960. The Black First Land First Party was also in Sharpville and observed the day by first paying their respects at the graveyard where all the victims were buried. BLF Deputy President Zanele Luana says the party respects and recognizes the role played by the PAC on the 21st of March in 1960. We respect this day as uh, the Sharpville, uh, Sharpville commemoration to remember those who have sacrificed their lives to make sure uh, that we become a free people as black people. We respect this day in particularly because it is being erased, the significance of this day in the so-called democratic South Africa since 1994. You would know that this day is not in the mainstream described as the Shadva massacre day. It is described as the human rights day. The EFF, on the other hand, held a rally in Sharpville at the Lomo Dam. EFF leader Julius Malema told those in attendance that this day should not be called Human Rights Day, but rather as Sharpville Day. Today is not a human rights day. Today is a Sharpville day. Today is a day we are fighting for the rights of black people. We must not make any apology about that. This nonsense of non-racialism that they are spreading in defense of white privilege, we are not part of that nonsense. What Human Rights Day? Today is a day for the rights of black people. Malema also told the packed crowd that calling this day Human Rights Day is what he described as appeasing murderers. It's a human rights day. Don't call it by its rightful name because you must appease the murderers. We will never appease the murderers. Arena problemo le makoa. Problem, history, or is Sutema Kua, 
Malema further held the PAC as the only political party with a clear agenda on how to restore the dignity of an African child. Let us not rewrite history and say other things. Today is a day of PAC. Today is a day that was led by PAC. Today we must salute PAC for being brave, for leading from the front. If it was not of the PAC, we will not be where we are. Other political parties who also held celebrations in Sharpville included ATM and Good. Ambali Tetani in Sharpville. Swiss chocolate wouldn't be Swiss chocolate without African cocoa. <laughs> you know, it's funny when you think about it that way because you realize just how important Africa is to the global economy. And as long as we are deemed to be inferior by the community out there, nothing's ever going to change. I believe it's one of the uh, ancient Greek philosophers who said that when we teach, we'll learn twice. Hello, Africa. Welcome to 1000 African Voices on Channel Africa. 1000 African Voices every Saturday morning at 9am with repeats on Sundays between 10 and 11 as well as on Monday morning between 3 and 4 Central African Time 1000 African Voices with me Awurengwi C on Channel Africa the voice of the African Renaissance from an African perspective Our headlines up next with Anne Musa. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Moussan. The headlines, Sudan's President Omar al-Bashir reduces the maximum jail term for violating the country's state of emergency from 10 years to 6 months even as protesters continue staging rallies against his rule. Zimbabwean President Emerson Mnangagwa declares two days of national mourning starting Saturday following the devastating effects of Cyclone Adai on the country and the UN Human Rights Council adopts a resolution to defend South African athlete and Olympic gold medalist Kester Semenya's right to participate in sport. Those are the stories making headlines.
When it comes to beating back climate change and reaching the Sustainable Development Goals by 2030, countries of the Global South will make major strides by learning from each other as they share similar problems. That's according to Cornelia Richer, International Fund for Agricultural Development's Vice President. IFAD is one of the agencies taking part in the UN's second high-level conference on South-South Cooperation, or BAPA Plus 40, in the Argentine capital, Buenos Aires, this week. First, I think we have to acknowledge that South-South Cooperation has become a major aid modality in the last decades. And I think this also reflects the particular demand of uh, countries from the South to learn from each other. There is a natural congruity uh, with regard to similar problems when it comes to climate change, when it comes to transboundary actions for certain public goods, um, uh, and when it comes to reaching the SDGs. And uh, I think in this regard, um, it has become very important that South-South cooperation is part and parcel of the overall aid modalities and with regard to fighting poverty and hunger, it is one of the platforms where we exchange also new modalities, innovations, and we see a very heavy demand coming up nowadays. Why should leaders in the Global South invest in agriculture and rural development? Well, uh, the figures nowadays tell us an alarming truth. Um, We have 11 years left to reach the uh, SDGs, And with regard to fighting hunger and malnutrition, we see that still 821 million people are suffering from hunger and malnutrition. So I think we have to address this mere fact and we have to ensure that we find the right solutions. And it's a race against time. And nowadays with so many uh, innovations in terms of digital agriculture, we have to ensure that these countries get the best solutions and get the most appropriate solutions in order to their contexts with which they can tackle these problems. Um, are there any successful South-South experiences in this area that you can share with us? Oh, there are a lot of examples in this regard. For example, my organization, IFAD, is organizing learning journeys um, for different countries who have similar uh, problems, as for example in the Caribbean when it comes to Um, dealing with climate change or when it comes to dealing with new irrigational systems. These are issues uh, which we are promoting. There is much more to it. We are trying to customize our approaches also together with our partner countries and making sure that not IFAD comes up with proposals but the real demand by our countries, uh, by our member states is met. And uh, in this regard, uh, we have also launched, together with the Chinese government, a a particular facility which gives ample opportunities in future to have more examples for South-South cooperation. And we can cover almost all areas which are relevant for increasing agricultural productivity, finding uh, the appropriate ways for additional employment opportunity, particularly for rural youth and also in, uh, for empowering women. What is IFAD's main message in BAPA Plus 40? Well, first of all, uh, we would like to raise the awareness for um, the South-South cooperation as an upcoming and even more significant aid modality which deserves even more attention and more resources.
And in order to mobilize more resources, I think we also have to create a kind of platform with more evidence. At the moment, we have to admit that we have more anecdotal evidence about the impact. And we've learned in all other areas of development cooperation that impact is key in order to mobilize and to get convince also uh, donors to contribute uh, to this issue. We see also the uh, opportunity that also other IFIs, not only, if, uh, uh, not only IFAD, but also development uh, banks and also World Bank, can join in in order to enlarge the platforms uh, for knowledge sharing. And another important factor for us is that uh, we have to invest in new methodologies uh, in order to, to learn more about and that we do have to involve the private sector also for sharing this know-how with us. How do you see the future of South-South cooperation? I think it will become uh, a more significant aid uh, modality in future. Um, because we see the request uh, and uh, the particular demand uh, in order to learn from appropriate innovations. So I raised the same question also to the uh, head of the secretariat and uh, definitely we are going to see with all these investments uh, which are given also from countries from the south to, uh, to this particular aid modality that this uh, feature will, uh, will increase. And I think it's, it's um, the right way forward because these countries have to share a lot of knowledge and not only uh, solutions from, this, uh, from the north are the most appropriate solutions, but very often solutions which were developed in neighboring countries can offer even more appropriate solutions. That's uh, Cornelia Richer, International Fund for Agricultural Development's Vice President, speaking to UN News' Laura Quinones. Yesterday marked the International Day of Forests, which underscores the importance of education at all levels in achieving sustainable forest management. Educating children and young people about forest is critical to safeguarding the world's natural resources for future generations. Students at St. George's British International School in Rome share their views on why forests matter to them. Forests are important because they give homes to lots of animals and they also provide food for them. Because um, uh, it's good for animals, uh, and because they're an habitat to some animals. Um, Forest matter because it creates habitats, and without those habitats, those animals would find themselves basically harmless. Not only because they are a home for many different species, but because they also matter a lot economically to many different countries. They stop soil erosion, which is uh, essential for farmers to grow crops. Forests provide oxygen for the planet. They give 
air to us. It is said to be the lung of the earth, so it cleans up the carbon dioxide and other greenhouse gases from the atmosphere. Producing oxygen, which is uh, very important for us humans and for all animals. So it actually helps purifying the air, and it helps with cooling the um, temperature. And they also are important for the for the ecosystem and the whole planet. And um, into this top global warming. Without them, we wouldn't um, live. And uh, also, they're very they're very beautiful. They they're very nice, and they make a country like look really nice. That's the view. That's the views of St. George's British International School in Rome's Children on Forest, compiled by FAO Radio's Charlotta Lomas. Abari, etise, mache, mingabu, baoni, kedu, mbote, ndemne, bonsoir. Join me, Richard Mwamba, for a music show on Channel Africa called Africa in Song every Saturday and Sunday from 18 to 20 hours Central African time. Africa in Song, Saturday and Sunday from 18 to 20 hours Central African time. Well, British singer-songwriter Ed Sheeran will be in Johannesburg and Cape Town from the 23rd to the 28th of March due to security concerns following a crime surge at the Global Citizen Festival last year. Concert goers have been advised to adhere to strict instructions to strict instructions to ensure their safety. Security at the FNB Stadium in Johannesburg has also been beefed up. Organizers say they have learned from previous experiences and are ready to host a successful event. Risha Madure reports. Ed Sheeran's initial announcement set many South African music lovers racing for concert tickets and seats were sold out within minutes. The award-winning performer will be at the FNB Stadium in Johannesburg this Saturday and Sunday and people are advised to keep an eye on the big concerts or CompuTicket website for security details, parking access and ride-hailing information. There will be enhanced checks of tickets at the venue so people are encouraged to arrive early. And if you have load-shedding concerns, be rest assured that measures are in place to ensure you aren't left in the dark as you watch one of the music industry's most popular artists. Here's Big Concert CEO Justin Van Veek. Our shows do not run off Eskom supply. They never have. We run our own generators enough to power a few blocks. We have house backup power which we're required to have in terms of law. Certainly as far as inside the venue is concerned, we will have electricity. In addition to all the public transport options, we do have safe and secure parking. But it's very important that people buy parking. There's no casual parking. You can't just arrive at the stadium and try and find a spot. So we urge fans to really ensure that you plan. Darling, I will be loving you till we're 17. Vic says there are strict rules on tickets, credit cards used to buy tickets and access into the venue. He has reiterated that people pay attention to the website to ensure clarity on documentation. Working with issuance management AEG, we've been very focused on secondary ticketing. People resell their tickets for an inflated price to someone else. It gets worse when they sell that same ticket five or six or seven times 
Um, so we, we don't have e-tickets for this event, so we're trying to counter that by having people pick up their tickets in person. We'll require you to have an ID, we'll require you to bring the booking confirmation, and we are going to be checking that. There will be full road closures from 10 a.m. by the Johannesburg Metro Police Department to assist with traffic flow on the Soweto Highway, Golden Highway, Nazareth Road and Boyson's Reserve Road. All FNB Stadium precinct roads will also be closed. The drop-off point is at a secure location with a heavy police contingent there to ensure your safety. That point is located on the corner of Nasdaq 5 and Commerce Street. Here's JMPD spokesperson Wayne Manar. Traffic will be diverted as from 10 a.m. on the 23rd as well as the 24th. Soweto Highway is the one road that we always have to close down because of the volumes of fans which have to cross over from the parking to get to the stadium. We're going to have three lanes coming in towards the stadium and the three lanes away from the stadium after the concert. Traffic wardens will be at all of the intersections around the stadium directing traffic and then without the Metro Police Office assistance with the diverting of traffic. We will be having crime intervention unit on duty and the canine unit. Very important. Focus on safety. If you are lucky enough to have purchased a ticket for the event, ensure that you are well aware of access points to the stadium and arrive early to enjoy this once-in-a-lifetime experience. Risha Madure, SABC News, Johannesburg. Our economics update up next with Tabisolo Hoko. Good morning. South Sudan has seen a record 27.6 million US dollars in commercial risk insurance to cover through the efforts of the government, the African Development Bank and the Africa Trade Insurance Agency, ATI. ATI has to date provided gross risk cover to facilitate investments in the electricity, gas, water supply and financial and insurance sectors. South Sudan is also expected to benefit from a $100 million trade facility from the Trade and Development Bank. The facility will focus on strategic commodities, budgetary support and other essential co-imports. An American multinational investment bank and financial services company headquartered in New York has warned that South Africa's power utility Eskom's severe load shedding could cut 0.3 percentage points off the first quarter of the gross domestic product. The Goldman Sachs Group says if the current intensity of load shedding persists, it could subtract up to 0.9 percentage points from South Africa's annual growth. Political analyst Somatota Figeni has described the timing of the power cuts as suspicious. Why all of a sudden you do have these blackouts now? Could they be triggered by the very promise of dismantling ESCOM? Or could it be a fight back for the leaders who left before, who are now accused of having run down ESCOM? Or could it be other sinister forces who want to use this moment to influence the outcome of elections? Or is it a combination of all these things cumulatively over the years, corruption, bringing the entity down to a point where we're beginning to feel the brand of it?
Meanwhile, ASCOM says it will implement Stage 2 load shedding starting from 9 a.m. to 11 p.m. Central African time. South Africa's power utility implemented more power cuts this week as it struggled with capacity shortages. ASCOM has suffered repeated flop faults at its coal-fired power stations along with lower levels at hydroelectric plants and diesel shortages. The situation worsened on Saturday last week after ESCOM lost its electricity imports from the Kahorabasa hydroelectric system in Mozambique, which contributes more than 1,000 megawatts to the South African grid after the powerful cyclone Idai. The Egyptian exchange has received a mission from the African Development Bank in the wake of its membership of the African Exchanges Linker Project, AELP, an initiative to foster greater integration in securities trading across the continent. The AELP project, jointly initiated by the African Development Bank and the African Securities Exchange Association, has the main objective of increasing intra-African investment flows through linking African stock exchanges, EGX. EGX joined the project last month as one of the seven stock exchanges that will be linked to AELP's first phase. Africa lags behind in the international trade of information and communications technology goods, earning just a small percentage from the lucrative sector. The continent's share of the 2.1 trillion US dollars in 2017 remained negligible, despite the demand for electronic components used in Internet of Things devices during, or rather, driving the value of trade in international ICT goods in 2017. According to figures released by the United Nations Trade Agency, UNCTAD, trade in ICT goods grew slightly faster than merchandise trade, representing 13.4% of the total in 2017. The U.S. dollar is trading at 357.79 Nigerian Naira, 10.44 Botswana Pula, 100 Kenyan shilling 13 cents, 11.97 Zambian Guacha, in BRICS currencies, one US dollar will cost you 378 Brazilian roll, 6378 Russian ruble, 6854 Indian rupee, 669 Chinese yuan, and at 1420 South African rand. It's also trading at 76 pence to the British pound, 87 cents to the euro. Gold is trading at $1,309, platinum $857 pounds. The price of Brent crude oil is at $67.69 a barrel. It's Channel Africa, your favorite channel. Our sports update up next with Figile Lingwati. In this hour's bulletin, we begin with football news. Kigen Doli will miss Sunday's crucial 2019 Africa Cup of Nations qualifier against Libya, while Bafana Bafana have proved, provided an injury update on three more players. Doli, who has only made four appearances for Montpellier this season, misses out with a hamstring injury. There was some good news, though, for Bafana Bafana, as Bongani Zungu, Kamuhelo Mukocho, and Rivaldo Kutsie are fit for Sunday 
Evening's Encounter. And the Court of Arbitration for Sport, CAS, has announced that it would be delaying its ruling on a sh- challenge filed by South African double Olympic champion Kasta Semenya against the IAAF until next month. Semenya is challenging proposals by the IAAF that aim to restrict female athletes' testosterone levels. The three panel is expected to announce the decision by next Tuesday. Skosana has more on the expected outcome. We went there, we presented the matter in, in front of the neutral and impartial panel. We are waiting for the decision that is going to come between the 21st and the 26th. We can't say what, what will be the outcome. The people who are busy constructing the verdict or the decision is the case panel. Please talk to them. They may be able to make us have some good sleep. But at this point in time, we did what we are supposed to do with our lawyers and the, our, legal, uh, our medical experts from all over the world, including this country. So we are waiting for that decision as you are waiting for it. The South African rugby side, Sharks, have made four changes to their team to face the Rebels in their Round 5 Super Rugby outing at Kings Park this Saturday. The Sharks lost South African derbies to the Stormers and Bulls respectively before their bye week and are eager to bounce back at home. Those defeats hit the franchise hard, forcing the players and technical team to search for answers during their time off. Coach Robert Debris says the match against the Rebels is a chance for them to reignite the campaign. I think, you know, we... we uh, I said after the game against the Bulls, we, we, had, we really had a good week of preparation in that week. And the same against, you know, the week before the Stormers. Um, but... Uh, you know, at the end of the day, you've got to go and do it on the field. You've got to go and do it when when the game is played. So, um, we've really uh, we've really looked hard and, and hard at our game, and and uh, and I don't think there's anything wrong with a game plan. You know, so um, it's all about the mental and the mindset. How you how you go into these games, um, especially when you're at home. You know. Uh, you don't want to lose at home, so this is a must-win game for us to get our campaign back on track. Dubrier admitted to the media at his team announcement press conference on Thursday that his side were outmuscled in their last two encounters. In response to that, the technical team opted for more intense training sessions this week. Dubrier sent a clear message to his forward pack. Yeah, the physicality is a, was, was something that was lacking. Uh, especially in the forwards against uh, against the Bulls and also against the Stormers. So, and the forwards know uh, that's where it starts on Saturday. It's got to they got to bring that physicality. And finally, with swimming news and additional twelve FINA Junior World Swimming Championships qualification times were achieved during the second day of the South African National Junior Age Group Championships in Durban. Luan Khroblar raced to a FINA junior qualification time in the 100-meter breaststroke with a golden 57.32 seconds ahead of Jack Olifir, 57.71, and Henju Duvenach in 57.93, while in the ladies' 16-year-old category race, it was Olivia Nell and Taylene Seifert that added their names to the qualification list in 1 minute 04.04 seconds and 1 minute 04.30 seconds, respectively, with the bronze going to Karin Herbst, in 1 minute 05.85 seconds. Seyfert also went on to win the 50-meter breaststroke in 33.36 seconds. The South African National Junior Age Group Championships will continue today with the heat starting today, right now in the morning, and the finals begin at 1700 hours Central African time. That's your Sport News this hour.
Africa rise and shine Africa zola Africa amka na unai Recapping our top stories in Africa rise and shine at the Sawa US imposes sanction on DRC's election commission officials and UN warns of dire conditions in the aftermath of Cyclone Idai. That wraps up Africa Rise and Shine today and for the week. For myself, Lulu Gabu, producers Pumuzo Ramagadze and Khomuzo Mopulane, technical producer Mario Edwards and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at infochannelafrica.org, WhatsApp on 277-6300327 or tweet us at Rise Shine Africa. Are taking us to the top of the hour for the news on the frequency 7230 kHz on the 41 meter band to southern Africa is Lucky Dube with a song titled Respect.